Welcome back to another episode of Nevertheless, She Persisted, your how-to guide happy place and support system for navigating the ups and downs of life. Please share today's episode with your friends and family members and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, I'm not a licensed therapist, just a teenage girl hoping to help. Enjoy! Welcome back to another episode. Today I'm joined by my dad. Hello, Sadie. Hi. So can you introduce yourself a little bit just to give listeners a little bit of credibility that you're a parent, you've been through this, and why they should listen to what you're saying? Sure. Well, I'm your father, mm-hmm. and happily so, in addition to being father of three other kids who are your siblings. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right that I, along with your mom, have had the experience of going through a severe depression in terms of, you know, the depression that you had earlier in your life. And so I have that experience as a father to a teenage girl that um, suffered from severe depression and anxiety. And so that's my background. Awesome. Okay, so I was wondering if you could, similar to what we talked about in one of our first episodes, if you could give a little bit of a recap of emotionally what it was like to be a parent to a child who was struggling with depression and anxiety like you mentioned. Well, I'd say that the brief recap is that, uh, you know, as someone who didn't have any experience just prior to when mm-hmm. you had depression, I'd say that the, the first feeling you feel emotionally is just confusion and this feeling that you don't know what to do. And so where, where it started was just sort of a, a feeling that there was an obstinance or a refusal on your part to do certain things that a normal 14-year-old girl would do. Mm-hmm in terms of getting out of bed and going to school or, or doing you know things that would be very normal, which is to sit at the dinner table with us or to you know speak when we had guests over and things like that. So, so I'd say that the emotional journey for me as a, as a parent going through that was starting with confusion and frustration to then a whole world of things once we actually understood what was going on. What do you mean when you say a whole world of things? Well, I think that what I mean is to first recognize that this isn't anything that you wished upon yourself. This isn't anything Mm -hmm. that you were doing to sort of, you know, you certainly didn't want this for yourself. And so I'd say that the the big aha moment for us was that once we realized how serious this was, and more importantly, how much you were suffering, that was the critical moment when we realized just... um, how important it was for us to turn our world upside down to try and give you help and to give you support as opposed to thinking that we could just fix it by saying some things or taking you know actions just between your mom and myself mm-hmm. and when you say like turn the whole world upside down you mean like me moving across the country and not McLean and then being at boarding school for a year is that what you're referring to yeah I mean basically the you know as I would think anybody would in this situation does, you start locally and you try and get help and support from local doctors and clinicians and and, and, and subject matter experts. And in our situation, that um, wasn't a high enough level of care for, mm-hmm. for the situation. So, you know, that's absolutely what I mean when I talk about turning the world upside down, which is there's nothing that I think your mom and I wouldn't have done to just try and get you the help and support that you needed. And, you know, for your mom and myself to, to you know, learn as much about this as is possible and to be really good partners uh, and parents to you through, through it all. 
whether that's geography, whether that's time investment, you know, a whole host of things. Gotcha. So what preconceptions did you have about depression and anxiety, especially in adolescence, prior to me experiencing all that and you and mom playing a big role in me getting treatment? I didn't have any experience in it before as it relates to teenage depression. So mm-hmm. I... But like what like what preconceptions did you have? Were you like, oh, it doesn't happen to kids or it's not a thing that they would experience or maybe like anxiety is only about like a presentation, like... What did you think when relating to adolescence? What did you believe about depression and anxiety? I think I'd have to say if I'm being just brutally honest with myself when I say this is that I I guess based on my behavior that I probably didn't think that it was possible for a young girl to be so severely impacted by depression and anxiety in the manner that you were. Mm -hmm. And I say this because obviously I I quickly learned, you know, kind of... It took a little while. Well, it took a little while. (laughs) Once we figured out what was actually going on, I think I I tried to do a 180 to really educate myself and to just learn as much as I could. But I'd have to say that before that moment, while I have, you know, kind of an experience through my father understanding what depression is like in adults and Mm -hmm. and and when i was growing up my mom always told me about the depression that my father had and that it started for him when he became an adult when he Mm -hmm. went off to college and so in my mind i think it's fair to say that i just assume that depression really can't show up until Mm -hmm. you become an adult and clearly that is not the case and so when you first presented symptoms of anxiety and depression I think at, at first your mom and I thought that, oh, this is just sort of the challenging teenage years and, and you know, just some obstinance and some nervousness that are just part mm-hmm. of being a teenage teenager. And, and that's where we started. And so I think it's fair to say that I didn't appreciate that it was even possible for a 14-year-old girl to be so profoundly depressed and anxiety-ridden in the manner that you were. And mm-hmm. keep in mind... I don't think this showed up 100% on day one. Yeah, it felt definitely. like it was a gradual onset. And so in those early you know, weeks and even a couple of months where um, it was more mild or, or modest, relatively speaking, I just, the last thing on my mind was that you could be severely or profoundly depressed um, or anxiety ridden. So, so that's, that's, you know, what I thought in that moment. Now that changed dramatically, obviously once we got medical help and and went deeper and deeper into this, but, but that's, you know, probably where I was at the start. Yeah. And I think that's kind of crazy that you as being someone who's very highly educated mom came from like a medical background you had like mental health complications like in your family and you still weren't aware that that was something that adolescents could experience and like as a society we talk about that kind of thing so little that parents have no idea that it's even possible that their kids can be really depressed their kids can be experiencing very severe anxiety and that could be what's happening so I think that's one of the reasons it's so important to decrease stigma and and just talk about mental health and how people are individually struggling more because it can lead to things like that where your own child was struggling very severely with depression and anxiety and like as a parent like you had the belief that it wasn't possible that like depression and anxiety were things that only came in adulthood so that's I I think that's absolutely insane that like as a society we don't talk about that enough I agree I, I think it is as you said very appropriately, if, if myself, 
who grew up with a manic depressive father mm-hmm. um, didn't didn't appreciate <laughs> and understand yeah. that a, a teenage girl after like being in school for years like you oh, did yeah. the whole health classes like yeah. and again mom had a medical background and like to think that you two two of the most capable people on this planet were, didn't even realize that could be a thing like that that speaks leaps and bounds to what the rest of the population must be experiencing when they see their their child struggling. True. I, and, and to give your mom credit, given her medical background, mm-hmm. I think she was absolutely the leader definitely, in this definitely. in that she was the first one to suggest that this was more serious mm-hmm. than than we realized or I yeah, realized yeah. Um, because it's obviously, you know, it was very tough for you to to, to verbalize it. And so mm-hmm. I really followed your mom's lead on this one. And, and you know, she was the one that, that really you know, quickly moved to, you know, getting professional help. And Mm -hmm. when that help was not sufficient enough uh, locally, she was the one that was absolutely uh, understanding that we want to, to, if there, if it's possible to overreact, which I don't think it is possible to. I mean, I I think it is like if your kid is maybe like drink one time and you send them to rehab, I would say that's an overreaction. Like with these things that okay. can, there can be an overreaction. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking yeah. about it in the context of your experience. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think there's definitely. anything that my experience being that I was like extremely unhappy. I was depressed and I wasn't presenting with like super impulsive behaviors or dangerous patterns that was like impacting my like health in the long run. I would say you're talking about immediately. Yeah. Uh, like I wasn't, onset? I wasn't, I wasn't reaching out to drugs. I didn't have super dangerous friends. Like I wasn't like out, like selling myself as a prostitute. Like these were things that I wasn't, I honestly isolated a lot. I was so sad. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't feel like anyone understood. So I agree with that. There's no way to, you have to go above and beyond. It was the right move to do more than what's necessary to reach me. And like in these situations, if parents get too like nervous and freak out and they see one behavior and they're like, oh, like maybe a kid sees home from school one day and they're like, I don't think they're sick. They must be depressed. Let's send them mm-hmm. to a two-year program. Like maybe that is an overreaction for somebody. That, that, that's very fair. In, in your situation, you're absolutely right that you didn't present with a whole host of behaviors that, you know, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And so I, I agree with you that, you know, you weren't hanging out with the, you know, a tough crowd and, yeah. and, and, but there were some things that absolutely suggested that we had to get help Definitely. Uh, in, 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 you know, in the form of, you know, self-harm and things like mm-hmm. that. These are yeah. incredibly serious things. Yes, and yes, yes. it's so easy to have one one uh, step uh, forever change you know mm-hmm. lives uh, your life and, and everyone around you so so I think that for for us all credit goes to your mom that you know once things passed a certain threshold in terms of seriousness in terms mm-hmm. of behavior that's when I think it, it would be hard to say that there could be an overreaction once we, we we got to that point yeah and I'd say like to just so listeners have a little bit more context. They're not, we're not just saying once things pass a threshold, like that meant that I had seen like multiple therapists and we had been trying to figure out like what was going on and change family patterns for years. And I was having some pretty concerning behaviors like self-harm and I was struggling with like daily routine and basic behaviors that most teenagers are able to uphold. So it definitely did get to a point where it was pretty serious. It was pretty severe and the, who we leaned on around us, whether it was outpatient near us or 
counselors or therapists or school resources. It just wasn't changing anything after months and months and months of attempts of going back and trying to change things as much as we could. True, true. And, and you know, just to, you know, uh, help others that might be in this situation, I, I think it's fair to say that in looking back on it, I think we did a pretty good job trying to exhaust the local resources Definitely. as much as possible. And so, you know, we had a situation where I think it was, as you said, you know, outside therapists, you know, weekly you know, sessions, hospitalizations. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think sort of the phrase that you and I and, and, and your mom used was, you know, one step forward, two steps back and yeah, one step forward. Yeah. And so we'd have a little bit of progress and then we'd have a hospitalization. And then we'd I feel have like a it was of- like, like, I feel like all progress is one step forward, two steps backwards. This was like one step forward, 10 steps backwards. Like this wasn't like any gradual kind of movement. Like this yeah. was like, oh, maybe like we had one conversation that was good and then I was back in the hospital. So like the ratio of moments of success to those that just seemed like things were getting worse and worse was very skewed. So I agree with like, we were saw little things changing like when I would do outpatient DBT we would sit in these sessions and mom and I would come to an agreement about like a phone plan and that would be something but then the next week I'd be back in the hospital for self-harming so it was like it wasn't like typical progress that I mean especially like my time at boarding school in McLean like there was a lot of times it felt like things were, were moving backwards or they weren't changing or I was barely making steps forward and yet when I look back at that year and a half like I grew so much and when I look back at those that year and a half when I was at home when I was getting outpatient treatment like I can say that I was overall digressing rather than steadily moving forward like I was once I was getting intensive treatment yeah and as a parent I think your natural instinct is Oh, as long as we get some professional help, mm-hmm. things will get better. And yeah. so it'd be very natural to think, oh, well, this is an incredibly talented therapist and this outpatient DBT should be enough mm-hmm. and it'll do the trick. And I think that is a reason why in hindsight you could say or some people could say, wow, you know, you guys could have done, you know, kind of McLean or intensive therapy earlier. Yeah. And I think the reason why we didn't is that you have this natural hope as a parent that if we just keep at it locally, things will get better. Yeah. And there's a desire not to disrupt your school uh, mm-hmm. routine and not to disrupt your normal everyday habits with your friends and your teachers. And like the family as a whole. Like, and the family as a that whole. That wasn't insignificant for like the younger kids. Like I was gone for a year and a half. I wasn't living at home. Like I think I understand that you and mom wanted to do as much as possible to avoid that because it was such a huge disruption. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, when you think you have siblings that are eight years old and 10 years Mm -hmm. old and 12 years old, those are really sensitive years. And so, you know, as a parent, you you don't take that kind of a disruption of you moving across the country and and going into a, a, you know, a hospital setting lightly or an intensive therapy setting uh, lightly. So, so you're right. We, We tried to exhaust as much as we could here locally, but once it became clear that the pattern just wasn't changing that's when and a lot of credit goes to your 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 therapist at the local local hospital when they suggested hey then you know it might be you know time for kind of the next level of care yeah i definitely agree so now two three years later actually last month was two years from when i went to mclean what how have your beliefs changed when you think about adolescent depression? Is their emotions, be patient with that, 
and really just give them their space to have that emotional experience. And then what's best after that is step eight, just to give the other person space and let them process that, let them get through that. Because if, like, I know in my experience, when I've still liked someone, the most difficult thing is being around them or seeing them or still talking to them. Because I, even though they don't have feelings, like, I still do. And so it's awful to, like, you still like someone and know that they don't like you back and you still feel like the dynamics have changed. When you're not prioritizing your self-respect or your objectives, be sure to come back to the next episode to learn about how to use the FAST skill to maintain and improve your self-respect in your interactions. Awesome. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on, Ruby. No problem. Thank you for having me. Alrighty. Bye. Bye. <laughs> if you enjoyed this week's episode of Nevertheless, She Persisted, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends and family. To stay updated on new episodes dropping and bonus content, follow the Nevertheless, She Persisted Instagram at Nevertheless Podcast with SS, the Twitter account at She Persisted underscore SS, the Facebook at Nevertheless, She Persisted Podcast with Sadie Sutton, and check out my blog, Nevertheless, She Persisted Podcast with Sadie Sutton.photo.blog. And don't worry, all of these are linked in today's episode notes. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you next Friday. Thanks for listening. P.S. Nevertheless, she persisted.